filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Hey, hey, welcome in. It's Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. My name is Adam Taylor. I am back. I no longer have a fever. I feel much better. Uh, thank you for all the the outpouring of support that I received, which wasn't actually anything, but I still love you. I'm joined as always by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We're all from blackandredunited.com where we cover DC United. Uh, unfortunately, that means we are talking about a loss this week, uh, one to nothing uh, L against the New England Revolution over the weekend. Uh, in better news, we get to talk about uh, DC United After Dark. Later in this episode, we'll have Alicia Rodriguez, one of our favorite guests on to preview DC United's trip to I'm already sleepy, the San Jose Earthquakes. Um, ben, are you not looking forward to the 11 p.m. Eastern time kickoff? I, uh, Jason, I'm going to say that uh, uh, conservatively, there is a zero percent chance I'm awake at 11 p.m. I was thinking to myself that, like, because you guys and I have, have talked about how I would prefer the later kickoffs, and you guys would not. Um, I feel like the 11, it's like two people having a disagreement on what level of movie violence is reasonable. I think the 11 p.m. kickoff is like some straight up grindhouse. Uh, it's like a, a slasher <laughs> yes. with just straight up gore splattering everywhere. Um, like and early like, Peter Jackson buckets. Yeah, or like a, an Italian uh, giallo where uh, the the violence is so stylized as to be absurd. Um, it's, that's the, it's, the, it's the saw. It's the saw of kickoff times. Uh, to some extent, I, I don't like saw, but you might you might be fair. <laughs> it might be. Fair. I've never it's, seen it. Uh, Just like this game, I'm not going to see it. Well, anyway. Watch the game later, but don't watch saw. I mean, I, yes, that. that's true. I will watch the game later. I will never watch saw. Whatever your opinions on. Uh torture porn maybe you can watch this game which hopefully will not constitute torture porn at 11 p.m on nbc sports washington and Teleexitos. stream it on dcunited.com if you're in the dmv or espn plus if you're elsewhere uh before we get to talking about that game or the loss to new england jason what are you drinking uh, i actually had multiple beers to choose from and i had to to really think about it uh i am drinking an abita uh marty mardi gras bach um which is uh i hadn't had it i saw it at a friend's house i saw the like the container for it but they had already been consumed by the time i arrived so i made a mental note and it was in the store and it's pretty good uh it's nice to have there's not we don't have too much bach weather left i think before the temperature starts to change and get warmer so glad i got it in i mean yeah it's gonna be in like it's going to be in the eighties this entire week in be, Richmond. So like yeah. today is the last day of Bach weather. Yes. Yeah, yeah, literally the, the spirit, I checked the weather for the spirit game tomorrow night to figure out whether I needed to bring a rain jacket or not. And I saw that the DC forecast was a high of 83 and I was like, wait a minute, hold on a second. Yeah. If we were recording this tomorrow, I would be drinking a gin Ricky, but we are not uh, even if you're listening to this in the much warmer weather. So I am drinking uh, Manhattan 
made with uh, district made rye and Capitoline vermouth. Um, nice little Luxardo cherry in there. It's tasty. I like it. Ben, what are you drinking? You didn't go for district made cherries. I did not. I just I had a jar of Luxardo cherries. So they fancy. Yeah, uh, I am drinking a rum and coke. I am throwing it a little bit back to college. Uh, Kraken spiced rum was new when I was in college. I feel like that's when it was like first got its like big release. And so I'm throwing it back with a little Kraken spiced rum and uh, uh, Coke Zero because I'm an old and can't do the calories of regular Coke. Full sugar is bad. It is known. Uh, something like that. Anyway, on to the soccer. Hernan Losada will not go down in history as an unbeaten coach for DC United. Uh, DC United fell one to nothing to the revolution on the Gillette Stadium turf on Saturday. The two teams largely canceled each other out. The difference was a Brendan Hines Ike own goal early in the second half that DC United were not able to overcome. Jason, on the show last week, you talked about it and I tweeted about it as well about how the tactical risks both teams take would, would be the story of this, but neither side was really able to take advantage of, of the others uh, choices in that department. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting, you know, unfortunately it wasn't very thrilling or anything, but it was really interesting game to watch because the other side of those tactics, those, those tactical risks, the other side of it is ended up being the dominant story where DC's high press made the revs, you know, the revs had kind of a hard time um, stringing much together, getting the the flow of game that they like to have. Um, but their solution to DC's high press, instead of turning the ball over and giving away a bunch of chances, which is what a press is designed to do, uh, the revs did something not a lot of MLS teams are willing to do, which is they said, well, I guess we'll hoof it to our forwards. Um, and so it was. There was a lot of them saying like, all right, screw it. Uh, we've got, you know, we talked about this last week. Uh, Buxa and Bo are going to stay up high against their, you're not going to have that guy dropping off to help the midfield. And so you've got two options and they were just hoof it into them when, when the press got too intense or if they were boxed into a situation that wasn't ideal, um, they'd hoof it. And a lot of MLS teams that, you know, the league has gotten away from that. Um, but there is a reason why teams will go back to it because if you're getting, if you're having a lot of pressure on you, you can hoof it up to two forwards and they'll at least get you out of trouble. And maybe if they're good, they might create something. And so the revs didn't create a ton. We'll we'll talk about that in a second. No one created much of anything in this game, but um, it did give them a way to not get pressed into the big mistakes that DC was hoping to press them into. Um, And so it was, it's an interesting stylistic contrast to the past where DC might have gone to New England and had a game like this that was very boring and very low on chances. Um, but the method by which that occurred was very different because in the past we would have been talking about a low block, et cetera. And this was very much DC went out and tried to press the revs. It's just that um, the flip side was that the revs were able to evade, evade the press by going along when they needed to. And also neither team was particularly sharp. Uh, in the attacking third, there was a, a distinct preseason feel. You know, the Revs maybe made a mistake in changing uh, their lineup to bring in uh, Trostason for Buchanan. Um, I think Losada maybe hinted at him thinking that was, I, I might be reading into this, but he said after the game that he's like, you know, 
some of the subs were better than the players that started the game. And I think that might've been one of the players he was talking about. I feel like if Buchanan played for DC, Losado would be a very happy man. Um, yeah. So if, if the front office wants to figure out how to make that deal, uh, I'm on board, but um, in the meantime, he only got a few minutes and uh, you know, Trostison might end up being very good, but in this game, he was just a non-factor. Um, but well, we you know, saw just, when, go ahead. We saw when Buchanan t- came in, he had a couple of those, uh, Breck Shea of old runs on the left side. One of them was he he just completely outran Brendan Hines Ike and forced him into a yellow card just outside the box, uh, just with his speed because DC United leaves spaces. That's part of this system. And Tajan Buchanan seems tailor made to take advantage of those that space that's left open. I was I was shocked to see him on the bench. I don't know if he's coming off an injury or what, but he, he that played. was unexpected played the, the previous game. I think they just wanted to get Trostison in. He's supposed to be one of their big attacking additions. Um, but, you know, to DC's benefit, he was unable to influence the game and Buchanan didn't have as much time uh, because that that going long might have played right into his hands. He would have had the speed to catch up to the front, front two. And if they're just laying the ball off to him and he's getting into space, that's a big problem. So, um you know, the, the flip side of that is if you want to say, okay, DC's lucky that Arena made a decision that doesn't appear to, at least at this point, have any rational reason for doing it. Um, the flip side of that is that DC went to New England with uh, five field players in uniform uh, and a ba- one backup goalkeeper, yep. and that was it. Um, it's a very and, short bench, especially since a longer bench is now allowed. Right. You know, the the I was telling you guys before we started, the game showed, or the broadcast showed, uh, the DC United injury report, and I took a screen cap of it partially because there was there were a couple notes in there that were expanded news that we did not have as far as the specifics of what injury it was for a couple players, um, but also just the comedic quality of I mean darkly comic quality of just the list is that long it's week two, um, but you know Losada did also mention post game that maybe some of these are going to resolve themselves in the next couple of weeks uh which is really important because you you can't get much more shorthanded than they already are and our next show our next show is going to be a double game week show so that's that's as soon as the the double turnaround is coming yeah and and like jason was saying I, i i took the list of people who are out it's 11 players on uh that are out from injury and it's like you can actually create a pretty good starting 11 from in Hernan Losada's style from that group of players. So they need these players back. I mean, we'll get into it. Like uh, I like Eric Sorgan. I like what he does, but he's not providing a lot of offensive threat right now. Um, and so having, Kamara back, having Jordi Reina back, having a lot of these players back is going to help a lot as the uh, as the team goes forward. Yeah, and Felipe made his return to uniform against the Revs. He didn't get onto the field, uh, but he's back early from that ACL tear. And um, I, for one, am very glad to see it uh, because warm bodies are good at this point, And Felipe well, is more than a warm body. Well, and uh, that gets into one of my gripes about the game is like Felipe is a good passer. He's able to uh, uh, 
gather the ball, look up, and place good passes. And in this game, I felt like DC United wasn't good passers, especially in the first half, especially before the subs came in. Uh, It's fine to give up this amount of possession. Like, possession is nothing, as stats nerds uh, will tell you. But I feel like, to balance that out, you've got to make do, you've got to, like, excel at the possession that you get, and I feel I felt like in this game DC United were just giving up pos- giving up possession way too easily. Uh, passes went nowhere, uh, and the game kind of bogged down because they weren't able to make those clean passes and connect anything, any kind of uh, uh, system going forward. And you can't have both of those. Like it doesn't it doesn't work out that way. So if the team is going to play this. Uh, uh, pressing style where they abs- where they absorb possession and then attack. They've got to get better on uh, on the passing front to make the best use of the opportunities that they get. I agree. It's it's weird though that they actually had more possession in this game than New England did uh, by the end of it because we saw what happened against NYCFC where it was exactly the opposite and they kind of controlled the game without the ball. And New England kind of did that in this game. They didn't let DC United make the passes or, or get vertical the way they wanted to. Those transition moments just weren't there. And neither were the turnovers high up the field, as Jason talked about. Yeah, and you know, I, I think DC did show a little more passing precision um, in this game. I mean, the data bears that out. Um, you don't get to... I think they ended up with a, a slight edge in possession. It was like 50.4% or something like that. You don't get to that passing the way they did in week one, which was imprecise, but going for something intentional. There was a a, a method to these high risk passes that often ended, you know, ended up not going to a DC player. This game, what Ben's getting to is that they were more accurate, but maybe a little more slow, a little more methodical, not very methodical. This wasn't, you know, trying to slow the game down to a crawl by any means, but it was definitely not the same as week one. Um, and I think some of that is if you go back and, and the, the league site has that passing network uh, graphic that is available now within the match center. Um, and you can see, if you look at where Yamil Assad's position is uh, when DC's in possession, he is not part of the front three. He actually ended up spending, I, I think there was a stretch of the game where he was actually receiving the ball on average deeper than junior Moreno. Um, and I think by the end of the game, he just barely noses ahead, but effectively in possession, he ended up being a third central midfielder. And I don't think that was the intention. I don't think DC said, you know, when we get the ball, Yamil, I want you dropping off and joining the midfield and being a third man and creating that overload. I don't think they wanted that to happen. I think it's what ended up happening. Um, and so with him dropping off deep, you end up with, um, not just him dropping off deep, but also Joseph Mora. Um, having to play a little more conservatively because Carly's heel was out on the right. Um, you know, last week we talked about how the Rebs sometimes played flat four four two, and then they shifted into this diamond. Um, they didn't do that in this game. That was one of the adjustments Arena made that probably did work. Is that he, he said, you know, we're not going to, you know, heel needs to stay more towards the right uh, than not. He's not going to have that as much freedom to just drift up near the forwards. Um, but that kept Mora home. And so the combination of those two things on the left side means that you're not really getting that side of the field engaged on the ball going forward. That, that side of the field is looking to bring the ball back into the middle earlier in the middle in the middle third rather than the attacking third. 
Um, and so I think that while DC got more accurate with their passes, they also got less dangerous as a result. It became a lot of Julian Gressel putting in crosses because that yes. he was the only person finding spaces and, and finding, finding the ball. Um, when DC did create things uh, up the middle or without a cross, it ended up kind of being Edison Flores having to rush a shot at the top of the box. There was a few of those as well. Um, but honestly, they just didn't create much of anything. Like these are, you know, Gressel crosses are the most, but it wasn't like there were a ton of them either. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, Ben kind of wrote about this on the site as well, uh, this point. And the reason I want to bring up Assad is that when DC made those subs, which is what Ben pointed out on the site in our um, reaction piece, DC brought in two forwards. They brought in Kimarni Smith and Adrian Perez. And it seemed to me that the direction was, remember you're part of the front three. Don't get sucked into the midfield so much. Um, and so all of a sudden, I mean, some of this is the revs got tired, uh, but some of it was DC's passing angles started to get better. They started to occupy the revs in a different way and, and force them to maybe stay home a little more because DC was now starting to find the pockets of space that, that are supposed to be there, that, the, that this formation is supposed to make, you know, they're supposed to make this happen a little more often, especially against a team playing four, four, two. Um, but they weren't getting it because of where Assad was picking up the ball uh, in such a deep position. And so they all of a sudden weren't able to work the angles that they've been working on um, to some extent. I, I do, I want to throw in that I get the feeling that in general, uh, looking back at Bearscoat's results when Losada first got appointed head coach, uh, the maximum overdrive stuff didn't start right away. Uh, their first few weeks were a lot of shutouts. It was a lot of yeah. like zero zero one zero one zero going the other way it took them a little while uh stop reading my notes jason god (laughs) um and so i I think he i think he's repeating that here i think it's a we have to get the defensive foundation right first before we can start doing the other stuff and so maybe there's a lot of talk and what we're going to do with the ball in possession but there's maybe not as much time it doesn't seem like at this point being spent on how to execute in the final third because i think this is going to be a team that is we're going to start to see patterns of play that become recognizable um, in a way that uh, if you remember Atlanta's first visit to RFK, they lost that game uh, because Ben Olsen had the the knowledge of what to do against uh, Tata Martino that year. But the recognizable patterns of play, I think, struck a lot of people uh, from Atlanta. To, the, the fact that the Atlanta players knew what to do early in the move and were, and were doing things that were practiced. These were not people making things up on the fly it was like oh if he drops off i need to make this specific run in in this specific moment um and i think dc wants to be that kind of team but we're not that's going to take some time that's a difficult a very difficult thing and we're a few weeks in with many players missing injured so i'm not too surprised that the focus right now is like well let's not let's make sure we're not getting clobbered in these first few weeks so that when we can start to get that stuff in going we're ready to go and it's clear that Hernan Losada starts with defense too. Like he, you, you said it during the preseason games. It's clear that he he started with the pressing shape and the defensive principles. And obviously, you know, you can see from the players they want to get up the field quickly. So that's in there too. But the pattern of play is going to come later. He he, it looks like he started that way at Bearscoat, and he's definitely starting that way here, where almost like Ben Olsen in a weird way. He's he's starting with defense first and building from there. 
Yeah, and my other thing, not we're not trying to excuse or 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 wipe away what happened. Uh, just trying to put it in context. Um, Lucy Rushton hasn't had to have any effect practically on this team yet. She was hired too late to make any signings for uh, this preseason. So her first signing opportunities will be in the summer and then through uh, next off season. So her working with Losada uh, through those couple of windows, I think will really help set the team uh, going forward. Obviously we want excellence this year and I think the team is talented enough to at least make the playoffs but uh the full vision may not be realized this year right there's there's this year and then there's the future right um and I think for this year obviously we want to see the the press start paying off a little more like the 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 defense has been remarkably sturdy, especially for a coach who came in talking about loving five, four games. Um, they, they've really? other than the one goal against NYCFC, which I think was, would correctly be ruled an own goal created by a foul. And that's, that's been the single highest expected goal play that they've actually on either side of the ball for DC United this year, a tap in from inside the six. We'll, we'll do that. Um, but if you take that one out because it was a foul, or it should have been called as such. They've given up a total of about one expected goal over two games. Um, yeah, and, and they were and they were leaky. They were leaky last year. Yeah, they so were. And this is a new system around, with uh, yeah people playing different positions. Two new center backs uh, back there for both of these games in Brendan Hines Ike and Tony Alfaro, um, one of whom was signed days before the the opener. Even if he had been training with the team for a couple weeks at that point. So there's there's been some turnover in this starting 11, obviously, with the injuries. And with a new system, I expected them to come out a little bit leakier. I did not expect them to to have the defensive shape as down as they have had it. And there have been moments when they've given up chances, but they've they've mitigated those chances and forced shots from distance or or contested the shots or or what have you. And they haven't even needed like Bill Hamid level saves because he's been out as well. I mean, Seitz has done a pretty good job but i mean no one would ever argue that he's bill hamid but they haven't needed bill hamid superman saves so far this year yeah which it goes kind of counter my my preview assumed that the, the this game was going to be very open and i went out of my way to actually to pull the curtain back um caitlin buckley our photographer and and former spirit beat writer um sent me a set of photos from game one uh, that we didn't have, and I looked through them, and I was and I was writing the preview, and I was like, I don't have any real photos of sites I can use, so I had to ask her for. Um, I was like, did you get any of sites that just weren't in the um, the first set that you sent? And she had to go dig through her other photos, and she said, okay, let me get the color balance right and all that, and sent me one. And I picked that photo. I went through all through all these hoops because I was like, Chris Sites is definitely going to have to come up big because this game is going to be so wide open. Uh, but you know. The soccer will absolutely make a fool of all of us, and it definitely <laughs> uh, got me pretty bad uh, in this game, in which the teams did not combine for even like point six uh, expected goals. Um, I think the numbers. I think every every outlet I've seen, the total comes down to lower than point six. Um, and so, you know, that's that. I, I will say that it does make me think. We've been talking up this coming game that we're about to talk about with Alicia. 
um, against San Jose as potentially like the most bonkers game in MLS this year. I've kind of, I kind of want to scale that down now because it seems like right now, because of how DC is going about things, the focus is going to be on, as they said, I think as both Losada and uh, Canals, I want to say, said heading into week one, the word or the phrase risk avoidance came up. Um, the approach against New England was pressing, but pressing in a way to make sure that the, your pressure is a defensive weapon. Even though you're up the field and you're throwing numbers forward, it's a defensive first approach. Um, and I get it, uh, especially with the the players that are missing. The fact that you know it's not clear right now what the answer is up front um, because you've got maybe Kamara's back this week, maybe not. Sorga, like Ben said, Sorga has been busy, but hasn't really been a threat uh, in possession. Yep. Nigel Roberta, I, I, I'm almost suspicious to find out whether he might start this game now that he's had a few weeks. Yep. Um, but, he, uh, you know, conversely, to be fair to Sorga here, it's not like Roberta has created much of anything either in the same role. So um, I, I think this might be a game that is a battle for sure. I, I definitely still think it's going to be a very physical battle with a lot of you know, high pressing it from both teams, the, the way that they do it is different, but um, I don't necessarily expect it to be the five, five game that I thought it was when we, we first got started because the, the, how this build is for DC United, how the process is to get to that point. Uh, it is different than I had thought, um, or at least right now, you know, we're two weeks in, we're also short on data. Uh, if we're being honest, we're kind of, we're still speculating because we got to see, Maybe one preseason game, uh, depending yeah. on how how much uh, you have a VPN or not. Um, maybe you didn't see any, so maybe you've seen two games in total all year. Um, so yeah, it, we are short on data, but I do think the all, all the signs are pointing to this team wants to make sure it is not getting uh, not paying the price for high pressing, um, and so organizing and and like if you press and the other team breaks your press, how do you deal with that? I think has been a major point of emphasis. And the good news is that we're keeping teams to uh, outside of that one chance uh, that Adam talked about just a second ago, mostly keeping the teams to very little, uh, giving away very few chances despite missing so many players. That's all positive. Um, But, you know, it would be nice to get the offense rolling a little bit and start to see um, more threatening play in general. Like I mentioned Flores. I think Flores hasn't been so good. Uh, outside of his shoe choice, which has been immaculate, um, yeah, like you got to get these guys I, going. Yeah, like like he has not yet performed up to the, the to the uh, the mantle of biggest transfer signing in DC United history, and I think there's it it needs to get there. Like, I, I, yeah, I think there've been to, some. There have been some moments when they they're able to get him into some space, or or able to get him to combine, like get numbers around him where he can combine with folks. But that hasn't happened very often because right, I mean, United has been chasing a lot in these games, at least yeah. chasing the ball. And I would also hope that he would be the spark on his own sometimes and help help do that creation rather than relying on other people around him to be providing that spark. When you, when you pay that much money, I feel like that that's the kind of player you expect. Right. I mean, he's, there've been moments where he's dribbled a guy or two. He just hasn't, he, he looks for a pass. He's definitely a, a, a passing kind of player. And if 
the movement isn't there or the, the, the recipient's not there, he's going to look to recycle the ball or he's going to dawdle a little too long and it's going to come off of him. Um, I do wonder whether Roberta, who showed some good movement in the video I saw from Bulgaria, whether he could be a better outlet for yeah, him. He's been very busy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll give him that. He's come in and it's been, uh, there's been no hesitation in terms of the high energy side, um, which, you know, if you're playing for Losada, it sounds like if you don't have that, then you will not be playing soccer for yeah. uh, Erna Losada. You'll be sitting and, on the bench. Sorg has and... also had a lot of energy. He just, yeah, yeah. Roberta has been able to get on the ball more than Sorga yes. in, in very limited minutes. Right. Um, and I think that's that could be a, a factor that changes the game. I also want to see more Moses Nyman. He came in and immediately united in you know mitigating circumstances and that New England was tired, it was late, United was pressing for a goal. But Nyman came in and was immediately able to find space in the midfield that didn't seem to exist before he came into the field. So I kind of want to see him uh, in the chaos in San Jose. <laughs> we also, we did get uh, a little bit of an answer as to... Um, who is defender number seven for this team um, because they traveled with only three defenders. All of them started. Uh, and then right. when Tony Alfaro, it looked like maybe a cramp. Um, uh, but when he came out, the move was to bring Joseph Mora back because they brought in Niam and it's like, well, it could be Mora going back. It could be Canals going back. Hard to say. Uh, Cause we, we, we are in like a new and strange world. And it, in this game, at least it was Mora. Um, I don't know what's next. Um, that was more of a kitchen sink move. They, that's, you know, Perez ended up as a, a wing back at that point. But um, yeah, it's it's a, an interesting situation. And one, I guess we're gonna have to keep an eye on because uh, Donovan Pines was thought to be probably coming back for this game against the Revs and then did not travel. Maybe, maybe just because of the turf. Um, that's the reason why Andy Nahar was left out. Um, so we'll yeah, see. If, if you can't have your, like... <laughs> Your first choice backup center back and in a har available. I mean, <laughs> yes, your first choice emergency center back. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I've I've been saying I like Joseph Moore as a center back in this system um, even more than I like him as a wing back. Uh, I, I, well, we can get into that more an, another time. Um, I, I think that's it for this segment. Other than to uh, send our love. And, and thoughts and, and well wishes to Devin McTavish and his wife, Emily. Um, Emily underwent surgery recently, uh, fighting breast cancer. And we all hope she kicks its ass and comes back better and stronger than ever. And we love you guys. And uh, we hope to talk to you real soon about kicking cancer's ass. So with that... We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Alicia Rodriguez to preview DC United's only trip to the West Coast to visit San Jose. Stick around. It's filibuster. All right. Say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh, to assert your rights. In that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly, uh, or, or or something worse happens, Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you called the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. 
That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, If you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have uh, a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper and you're dealing with a a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. DC United will fly to the West Coast for the one and only time this season. Coming up this weekend as they visit the San Jose Earthquakes for a little hashtag DCU After Dark. Watch it on NBC Sports Washington, Teleexitos, DCUnited.com, ESPN Plus. Kickoff the is... back of your eyelids. If you're Ben, yes. Um, kickoff's 11 p.m., so it'll be it'll be pretty late uh luckily here we have alicia rodriguez who runs the california soccer sites for sb nation is the quakes flavored site she's also one of our favorite people in the entire world so i'm very happy to say alicia welcome back to filibuster thank you guys i don't know how many seasons we've gone now but this is our streak is intact i think so thanks again for having me this is season 10 of of filibuster so i think this is at the very least your 10th visit (laughs) That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and and we're happy to hit that milestone. What are you drinking tonight? Uh, I'm having lem- Lemoncello LaCroix. Uh, it's, I think it's my favorite flavor, but it's also what we happen to have in the house. So, yeah. Kismet. Right there. Exactly. That one's a good one. I, I've only found it twice um, in stores here, so I'm kind of jealous that it's apparently readily available. Yeah, just uh, come on out to California for your grocery yeah. shopping, and uh, yeah, pick <laughs> some up. Can't wait to be able to travel out west again. Um, I think it's required to start any discussion about the earthquakes with Matias Almeida, who's entering his third season with the Quakes. For folks who haven't seen it, what is it about his teams, his system, his style of play that has all the junkies and weirdos like us uh, hot and bothered? Well, it's interesting because I think especially coming into this game, uh, we're going to see a lot of parallels and similarities between the two teams' approaches. Um, Almeida is somebody who comes from the Marcelo Bielsa school, uh, which is probably sounds pretty familiar. Somebody who is um, willing to take a team that may not be the very best, um, run them absolutely ragged, Um, play an extremely high intensity style Uh, man mark um, which is something that is until recently has been very unusual in MLS Um, and San Jose for me really is marked by this uh, ability to be comfortable with chaos right like they're they're okay with games when the ball is pinging around and there seems to be no real rhythm on what's happening if they can get the ball get up in transition, get a shot off, hopefully get a goal in the process. That's exactly what they want. So they're, they're not bothered with, um, you know, losing possession or uh, having to, to do a lot of defending. Although like 
pretty much every team, they don't want to sit and defend, but they're okay with, with the chaos, with the um, difficulty with, you know, like in Latin American soccer, there's like a lot of talk of like suffering, you know, like they're a team that is okay suffering, right? Like they're okay with, um, you know, grinding it out for 90 minutes in various ways and uh, really disrupting things for the opponent. And so as a result, uh, I think the Quakes, like talent-wise, remain at or near the bottom in MLS, but they have improved uh, a, a pretty fair amount uh, so far in Almeida's uh, tenure because the team is like totally bought in. Like they are like completely locked in with him. And uh, yeah, they, whatever he says, it's like, let's do it coach. Like, let's go. And so it, it's, it's really something that's fun to see because it's a little bit different than I think what we typically see in MLS. Although again, we're seeing some newcomers do something similar, but um, no, it's been a lot of fun to cover them for a variety of reasons. Um, but the, the style is definitely one of them. So Longtime MLS fans will know that uh, Chris Wondolowski has been one of the key players for the Quakes over the past decade. Uh, it seems like his role is transitioning uh, here in the last year or so. Um, but with him getting a red card in uh, the most recent game, how is that going to affect uh, the Quakes against DC United and more broadly, uh how is what is Chris Wondolowski's role at this point, and how does he uh, fit into the team? Well, it's interesting because uh, Wondolowski, you know, started off as a bench player the first two weeks of the season. I think that makes sense. Um, you know, he started out last season as a bench player. I think he started the season before as a bench player. What's interesting is over time in each of the previous seasons where he started out as a substitute, he's played his way into being the starter because. There is no one else who kind of steps up and becomes the leading scorer, you know, to sort of turn over the, you know, the next generation, so to speak, of, you know, the striker for the team. And so as the most productive striker, he ends up getting back on the field. Um, and to, to be fair, he's a very healthy guy. Like he, knock on wood, he does not get injured. And so um, he's pretty much always available aside from this coming week because he's got a red card. Uh, I did ask the team if they were giving any consideration to possibly appealing the red card. I do think that you could give a case for it being dangerous play, but I also think that it seemed completely accidental. And, I, you know, it, it wasn't the kind of thing where like he stamped on uh, the opponent's foot or Achilles or whatever. He, he stumbled and did it accidentally. And um, so I asked the team if they were planning to appeal. They have not said so far that they are, but sort of got a question into them. So, I think there's maybe a tiny chance they could, but I wouldn't necessarily hold my breath that they're going to appeal and get that turned over and have them available. But it, you know, it maybe it's in the realm of possibility, but without him, I don't actually think a lot is going to change just because they haven't relied too much on him so far this season uh, through the first two games he's, he's played, but he, um, you know, he hasn't scored yet. And obviously he got a red card within 15 minutes uh, the other day. Um, so I think it's probably going to be, um, Andy Rios likely coming off the bench and and him just playing a, a heavier role than maybe he did the first couple of games because he also came off the bench. But last season he was basically the nailed on starter uh, to the chagrin of a lot of Quakes fans. Um, so having him come off the bench, I think is is probably what's going to happen in lieu of Wando uh, taking the number nine role off the bench. Uh, 
Alicia, I guess the the big talking point that I've seen around the league about the Quakes this year has been all about Cade Cowell, um, given that he, one, has been very effective, at least getting on the score sheet, um, which is a great way to end up on like a team of the week. Um, if you score a goal, that's the best way to do it. Um, and, and two, for being a, like a jacked teenager in a strange way. Um, it's hard he also to had not that notice. through ball assist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this was like kind of a, a step forward game. This game against uh, Dallas. Um, how important, or how, like, how important is he to the Quakes right now? Because it, you know, last year it seemed like, oh, Cade Cowell is going to play a role next year. He's probably going to be um, maybe pushing for a starting spot. And now it's like Cade Cowell might be the major offensive cog for this team. Yeah, is that? fully comes to fruition, I think the, the Quakes are going to be thrilled. I also think if that fully comes to fruition, uh, he will be sold in pretty short order. Um, you know, if he really becomes the primary scoring option for San Jose, then he's probably going to get, you know, sold to a European club before too long. But um, no, he had a great game against Dallas. He had a goal and an assist. Um, he had one goal last year for the Quakes uh, against the Galaxy. It was a banger. So He's got a, a penchant for, for coming up in, in uh, big plays on occasion. I think this season, like you said, the, the hope is that he's going to take a step forward and um, become a consistent uh, player for the team, whether that means he's going to be starting regularly or um, just playing a lot of minutes, um, hopefully contributing a, a little bit more often on the score sheet. Um, I think that'd be a really great thing. And, yeah, he's a guy that uh, he's 17 – uh, he got a, a pretty fair amount of playing time last season. So when he was 16, um, like when he was 15, I mean, he looked like a man, you know, like he was kind of those, like one of the Le- LeBron James type guys who like, mm-hmm. you look at them and you're like, are you sure you're not 30? Um, so he, <laughs> like physically he is ready for, you know, MLS. Like he's, he's been ready for a while. Um, and we talked to him and, and Chris Wondolowski before the season, both of them, were extremely complimentary of each other. And, and Wando was really, really complimentary of, of Cowell said, you know, I think the world of this kid, um, I think the sky's the limit for him. And uh, not that he's a player who doesn't say nice things about his teammates, but to me, it, it, it struck me as, as particularly effusive praise, I think for him. And, um, you know, Cowell's a player who, because of the team he plays for, does not get would not necessarily get a ton of attention on his own, but, you know, the more that he has these breakout performances, the more that he's going to force people to pay attention. And uh, I ha- I am optimistic that he can do that this year. And if that's the case, then that's, that is definitely going to help the team overall. A former wonder kid from San Jose, Tommy Thompson, still on the roster. He's 25 now. Um, maybe didn't reach the heights that some people thought he he would when he first burst onto the scene with uh, some frankly audacious skill uh, that we didn't really associate with the quakes at the time. Um, how's he doing now? Is, is what kind of player is he at this point and has he reached his ceiling? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if he's reached his ceiling, but um, he's a player that I think is really interesting. Like you said, he has great footwork. I mean, his footwork is like, prodigy level right like nobody else in MLS can get out of corners and dribble through traffic the way that he can um, also he has like I think he could probably have a second career as like a Harlem Globetrotter doing like trick shots and stuff like he's amazing at that kind of stuff um, yeah really good but on the soccer field in MLS these days um, he primarily plays as a fullback 
which I think is probably the best use of his skills, to be honest, because he's somebody that earlier in his career when he was an attacker, um, he was really good at like dribbling, getting around a guy, like hitting across like to the first defender and then the, the play would die. And, you know, putting him back as a fullback, he's able to run a lot, which he's really good at. Um, he's building his defensive capabilities. You know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say, oh, he's definitely a lockdown uh, fullback, but I think he's really developed those skills and he's at the very least passable at this point in MLS terms at that. Um, and he still is able to get on the ball a lot. You know, the, the modern game with fullbacks, they, they, they play a lot on the ball. So that helps him as well. Um, and then also at times uh, he, he plays in midfield. So he can also like kind of pitch in, fill in in a spot. There was a game last season where he played at the number 10 when they were kind of just trying to figure stuff out. Um, so, you know, there's, there's some flexibility with him. He's obviously not going to play center back, but I think pretty much any other position on the, uh, you know, in the outfield, uh, he could reasonably play. Um, and yeah, he's, he's the kind of guy that uh, maybe we didn't get the choo-choo highlights that we thought we were going to get with, you know, Tom Tom when he first signed, but I think he settled in to be a really good pro. Uh, he's very much valued in San Jose. Um, and I think he's a really good fit on this team. And like, he's, he's the kind of guy that like, so Matias Almeida comes in as the coach. Uh, Almeida does not speak English, um, you know, more than a few words at a time or whatever. So Tommy Thompson decides I'm going to study Spanish and he's like pretty close to fluent in Spanish now. And that's like super awesome because I think that's kind of, you know, not only as, as sort of like a, a, uh, boss uh, employee relationship of like, well, this is just a way to like communicate with my boss, you know, to like be able to be on his level, but just as like a human like gesture to be like, okay, well, I don't know Spanish. I guess this is a great time for me to learn and, you know, goes out and, and studies it. So I think, um, yeah, I think that's a pretty cool story and something that um, shows the buy-in that he has, which you wouldn't necessarily get with uh every player who has a, a foreign manager coming to MLS. Yeah, that's yeah. Really cool. It is very cool. And I, I, I think it, it speaks to him as a human being, which is, which is always nice to, to hear. It also reminds me um, in the last couple of years, DC United has started offering Spanish lessons to players who don't speak it. Even when Ben Olsen was still the manager, just because it, it builds a community within the team and shows that everyone is, is, moving to meet each other where they are and it's not just you don't speak english you have to learn it it's you don't speak spanish you should probably learn it to communicate with your teammates because they're your teammates yeah there's a few teams um in mls that do that that i know of that like the ones who speak spanish they take english classes and the ones who speak english take spanish classes so that there is hopefully some sort of overlap between all of them on the team and they can over time get to know each other a little bit better uh, Alicia, I wanted to ask about uh, looking at the Quakes lineups these first two weeks. Um, there's a similar vibe where with DC, if everyone's healthy, we're probably not seeing too many new faces. And when I look at the Quakes lineup, I say, yeah, all these guys were here just about. Um, the one remarkable, I mean, no disrespect to Eric Rometty, but he's kind of adequate. Um, the maybe the more interesting player um, to get into is um, Trofis Lopez, who came up from Chivas, which Almeida, Almeida coached at uh, previously. So I'm interested what has been his impact so far, given the, that he's kind of the whole offseason for San Jose in a way. 
Yeah, uh, I think Trophies has been a little bit slow uh, so far, you know, to kind of get up to, to game speed uh, in MLS. And to be fair, being your playmaker on a, you know, chaos-inducing team is a really hard role to step into. So, um, you know, I think he needs a little bit of time. But uh, Almeida told us after the first game, you know, he hasn't played – he said he hadn't played in a year. I don't think that's accurate. I think it was more like maybe six or eight months which is still a long time, but um, maybe not quite a year. Um, but no, he's he's uh, somebody that I think the the team, they said they were chasing for like three years. So if that's true, that predates Almeida arriving even. Um, and they kind of, you know, they picked him up for like pennies on the dollar. It's a, it's a good risk reward signing, I think, because um, he's on a loan. He's not a DP. So if he really stinks up the joint this year, they can just send him right on back. But uh, I've been told his purchase uh, option is like super reasonable. So if he's anywhere near adequate, then they can pick it up pretty easily. Um, so yeah, he's he's a player that uh, needs a fresh start, and it's kind of up to him if he's gonna, you know, take advantage of it or not. Um, it's kind of funny because I'm getting, I'm sensing a trend. You know, like you said earlier, I cover the uh, California MLS teams, and last year when Chicharito was struggling after like you know, 45 minutes, people were tweeting me like, this guy's a bust. He sucks so bad. Mm. Um, and guess what? On, you know, the first game, trophies, it was like, this guy is the worst player I've ever seen in my life. And I honestly don't know if those are people who uh, just don't like El Tree or, or Mexican teams in general, or if they are big, you know, Mexican soccer fans and they just hate him. I, I don't know. But um, yeah, so people are trying to, you know, label him a bust right away. Obviously, through two games, it is way too early to do that. But um, no, he's he's been, I think, a little little off the pace so far. But uh, they've got one win and one loss. They almost got a draw in the, in the loss, so um, they haven't strictly needed him yet. But hopefully, he can come through before too long. And you know, speaking of the the attack for the Quakes, as much as you know, Trophies has that ten uh, role. It seems like a ton of the creative duties fall on uh espinosa out on the right side um i was just just while uh, you were answering adam's last question looking at some of the expected goals stuff and they, ha- they had him alone up at like 2.15 against dallas um so that ar- immediately was like hold on a second um that's like i think more than dc has managed on the year uh as a team so um thinking more broadly like what teams have struck you as being effective against uh, Espinosa and keeping him maybe more contained given that he is that wide playmaker that has become more of a thing in MLS in recent years than it used to be? Uh, that's a good question. I'm now racking my brain for all the teams they've played. Well, they played terribly against Seattle. Um, although I think that's more of kind of a system against system mm-hmm. issue. You know, it's just like Seattle just has enough talented players and they're, their approach is fluid enough that it disrupts San Jose's willingness to be disruptive. And, and Seattle's like, you want us to have the ball? Okay, great. We'll, you know, we'll take it. Like we will Mm -hmm. shoot on you. No, thank you so much. This is amazing. Um, So I think that's a little bit different. What's interesting about Espinoza is like you said, he is the playmaker for, for San Jose. I think coming in, people expected him to be a, a real goal scorer. He he was he hasn't been a real goal scorer. He's been somebody who chips in once in a, in a while, uh, but he's actually more like I'm trying to think of. 
who is it? Mauro Rosales. He reminds me a little bit of Mauro Rosales. Um, Espinosa is a little more wingery than Rosales, which who is more midfieldery. But I think their profiles are similar. They play out wide. Um, you know, they they take the ball. Like Espinosa's big thing is he takes the ball in a big switch, um, and then distributes from there out from the right flank, or maybe he'll dribble in a little bit. But um, basically, he kind of sets up shop over there. This past week, he played a lot on the left, so they're they're tweaking things a little bit and um, maybe trying to evolve a little bit so that uh, he is not contained as easily um, moving forward. But um, yeah, he's definitely the playmaker. I When I was looking at um, all the players after the season, I looked at his uh, kind of comparable numbers and his uh, advanced stats. His advanced stats were like super elite, um, actually much better than I even realized that they were kind of with the top playmakers in MLS. Um, yeah, just really like, wow, okay, this guy is way better. And even for me, somebody who covers the team, you know, day in and day out, I didn't realize just how good he was. He ended up being, I think, tied for second in, in assists last year. But as far as like the advanced stats, like he was a, a truly elite playmaker. So um, to answer your question, I can't think off the top of my head, like who really shut him down. Um, I think a lot of times when things go bad for the Quakes, uh, it's more often defensive than attacking. I mean, there's, I think ideally the Quakes want to shoot as often as possible. Like they are totally fine shooting 30 times in a game and 27 of those shots being kind of junky. Like they're not a big, you know, like we need to have a great chance. Like we need a, you know, just, just keep shooting, just keep shooting. Of course, there are games when you only get four shots and you got to make the most of it. And if you're used to just like hitting the ball from wherever you are, uh, that doesn't always work. But um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, like I said, the the switch to the left may be something that we'll see a little bit more often um, to to make sure he's freed and and uh, able to to perform and, and, and to keep setting up his teammates. Before we let you go, I have to ask our traditional closing question. If you found yourself opposite of Matias Almeida in his radiant hair, uh, you had to plan for a game against him, what would you be focusing on? I mean, to an extent, I would probably do something of what he does, which is uh, a volume of chances. I think if if there, if if uh, you have, and this is something that's pretty common, right? Like this is not a, you know, really think outside the box tactic, but if you have runners going at goal all the time and you have people making trailing runs and you're constantly like trying to attack and get up, uh, if you put their defense under pressure, they can, you know, break. And and that's the big Achilles for this team is, um, you know, really like setting up defensively, right? They don't, you know, they know that they're going to give up some goals sometimes. The problem is sometimes they give up the second goal, the third goal, the fourth goal, the fifth goal, you know, and it may be like the 40th minute. And if you're down five nil, then, you know, it's over, of course. Um, so I think just uh, matching them in intensity, that's something that they, they rarely lose if, if they are the most intense team. Now, sometimes they're the most intense team and they don't win, but like rarely are they like kind of blase and uh, come out with a result like they have to be really really energetic and really really on top of their game um so if the opponent can match that it can make things really difficult for them um and I think that's a way that kind of fits in with what DC wants to play as far as my understanding so 
Um, I am very interested in how this game's going to go. I would love it if it was 6-5. Like, wouldn't you guys, I mean, on some level, it would be, uh, you know, kind of hard to write the recap, but I am willing to take that <laughs> sacrifice. Like, if it's going to be a barn burner, like, let's see it. You know, that would be pretty great. I, I wonder if any bookies are taking odds on spontaneous human combustion happening on the field during this game, because the players are going to be so amped up to try to outdo each other in this one. It'll it'll be really interesting. Uh, and I'm excited to watch it. I, I'm going to caffeinate like hell on Saturday and I will be up. I, I know, am I pledging. Thinking, I won't. I'll I'm tired just... right now, but I am pledging by Saturday I will be awake. I was thinking about it, and do you guys think that they set the kickoff time for 8 p.m. so they could do like a, you know, a barbecue right after the game, you know, like they could roll up at midnight and everybody could, uh, you know, get the asado out and, you know, just start. Just all the Argentines getting together. I mean, this sounds wonderful. I want to be in attendance for this. (laughs) Yeah, I won't lie. Sounds pretty good. I we know uh, from Instagram that that Lucho Acosta is kind of the king of the the Argentine backyard grill at this point. And of course, he's in Cincinnati now. Nobody tell my kid that that requirement is still active, just so everyone knows. Um, but like, I, I can see Shamil Assad getting getting into that, and and Lasada, of course. So. Who knows? Yeah. If you hear about it, let us know, please. <laughs> okay, we'll do. Um, well, the other thing is, you know, Argentines often like eat dinner at like 10 p.m. So that's kind of why I was like, you know, maybe they'll roll out of the game, yeah. get the showers and have a big old party before uh, DC has to get back on the plane to go home. I mean, the stadium there has got the the world's largest outdoor bar. So true. Like, it might be a rager for the ages, you guys. The game may be secondary to what is going to happen after the game. <laughs> the game is itself the pre-funk. Alicia, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Tell our listeners where they can find you if they are fools and don't follow you follow you already. Uh, sure. You can find me on Twitter at Soccer Musings, and you can find my coverage of the San Jose Earthquakes at Centerline Soccer. Find us, of course, at blackandredunited.com. If you feel like supporting us financially and you're able to do so, we would love it if you would go to patreon.com slash filibuster and uh, do exactly that. Find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We do read them all. We're not very good at responding, but we do read them all. I promise you that. Um, Download, subscribe, rate, review wherever you get your podcasts. Mostly, though, Tell a friend about the show. That's about the nicest thing you can do for us. For Jason and Ben and and thanking Alicia one more time, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. In retrospect, I'm glad the game is a late start. This suits me perfectly. (laughs) You're a monster.